Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. This show is all about the world of first-person shooters, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. It is the will of the drowned god, Cathala, that our communities band together to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. So as with all good things, this episode has a story behind it as to how it came together. And anybody, you know, if you're a really big fan of the show, you probably listened to the episode we did with Ted Hitchke of DreadX. And that was actually the second take of an episode that we'd done before. We rambled for like three hours and we decided not to put that one up for various reasons, but mostly because I forgot to save it, I think. But it doesn't matter. Thank the Drowned God Cathala that that episode never saw the light of day because what you ended up with was a much more condensed version of what we were trying to talk about. But in that original recording, I expressed to him at length my struggle with criticizing games or or just things in general. Not that I'm, I don't think that my opinion is valid. I, I think that's the way I came across to him. And I, it's not that I don't think I have a valid opinion. I just really actually believe in the whole like, if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all sort of you know point of view on life no one's perfect in that regard and I'm certainly not but I try my best to just not go around spouting out negativity I feel like there's so much negativity in the world and the media right now that that's the last thing that I want to give to my audience is just a another source of whining and bitching and complaining and all that so i have up until now mostly kept my mouth shut about doom eternal and recently uh i got a message from connor howard from the lore party podcast and i'm a i'm a fan of the lore party podcast so this was pretty cool he reached out to me and he's like hey you know we're putting together maybe a, a series on doom and we thought you'd be a great you know panel guest or you know at least in some way i'd like to collaborate with you in regards to doom and i was like well how could we do that you know i i don't do what they do like that lore party is such a well put together very edited very scripted kind of autopsy you know on the the story and the lore of games and that is you know we don't do that here i think i say at some point during this interview uh what we do here is jazz and what they do is like composed symphonies but i'm up for a challenge and i'm like yeah and bouncing ideas off of each other we thought well what if we did like a debate because my initial response was like look man i can't honestly tell you i'm gonna show up and have a lot of really nice things to say about doom eternal like it's not that i hate it but i definitely don't love it enough to show up acting like i just know every little bit of the lore and all this kind of shit behind it not that i wouldn't do my research but He's like, yeah, it'd be cool to do like a, a debate. But then I got to thinking, I don't really want to be the anti-Doom Eternal guy. Who do I know that fucking hates Doom Eternal? And you got fans of the show again. You know Bruno Boudouin, creator of Nightmare Reaper. You may know him by the name. Itburn is, you know... There are guests that come on the show that you know, you have a relationship with, you know, that it's very professional. Hey man, you know, love to see you again for the game and all that kind of thing. And then there are people that you just, 
you know, you end up texting them on the weekends and exchanging, hey, Bruno, here's a picture of me and my wife sitting on the back porch drinking beer and all that. You, know, you have a you have a real relationship with somebody. And Bruno is one of those guys that, like, I just I respect the shit out of him. I love his art, his game. Nightmare Reaper is one of my favorite things that's happened in I don't know how long. And he notoriously blew up for his criticisms of uh, Doom Eternal and, and really well articulated, I might add, criticisms of Doom Eternal. So I reached out to Bruno. I was like, hey, do you want to maybe like do a little debate? I will bring on the lore party guy. It, it, it was just perfect. This is a perfect storm, I thought. like I can't believe I had this idea. So what we decided was we do this uh, debate on our show as a way you know, like promote lore party and also to promote Nightmare Reaper and just have fun with it. Because it's kind of a freeform conversation. And then hopefully later on, I will come on Lore Party and try to, you know, help them compose a symphony of, you know, one of these episodes. They're going to do a whole series on Doom. And I can't wait to hear that. So, without any further ado, guys, I, I present to you this awesome debate between Connor Howard of the Lore Party podcast and Bruno Boudouin of Nightmare Reaper and Blazing Bed Games. And honestly, it's not it's a debate for a while and then it just turns into an awesome conversation. Really happy to share it with you. Uh, let's hit the music and then when it's over we'll be in the keep with Connor O'Brien. So the point of this is to basically introduce you two guys. First of all, in this corner, weighing in it, I don't know how much, we have Bruno Boudouin, developer of Nightmare Reaper, and he is going to be representing the anti-Doom Eternal clan because, I don't know, man, you like blew up when you had your criticisms of it, and I'll let you speak on your own behalf here in a bit, but, so that was awesome. And then in the other corner, we have Connor. You are an amazing host on an amazing, what is it? I don't even want to call it a podcast because Lore Party is like a group of podcasts almost. Yeah, it's a network. uh, And that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Yeah. So what you guys do is kind of dig into the stories of games and like really appreciate the inner universe of the gaming world in general, but, you know, each individual game. And I really like your show. I'm glad you reached out to me. Thank you. Likewise. Glad we could do this. You've got to do the hard task and... (laughs) You have to be pro Doom Eternal, and we're That's just right. gonna give this game a proper. I almost said pro, postmortem, but let's just give it a, a proper <laughs> uh, view of where we all stand and 
how we feel about this. And I'll just be the referee. I, I'm, I don't want to say I'm totally impartial, but I'm fairly impartial when it comes to this game. I think it's really cool, like, in general, but there's a lot to be said about it. And uh, so, who wants to go first? Who wants to start us off? I can clarify that I'm I'm not like against the game. I think uh, it's made for some people. Some people are gonna love it, but I didn't like it. And I mean, I'm I respect if you disagree with me also, but sure. uh, I think I'll explain clearly why. Yeah, and I, I would say just first of all, like, yeah, this is all personal. It's all very much subjective, and I'm not here to like say you're wrong if you didn't like this game. I'm not I'm not here to say that by any means. So, yeah, I'm just from what I know of Bruno's position, I I know I would say he definitely has valid points. I'm here to defend the game, but just from the perspective of yeah, I thought it was fun, and I thought a lot of the mechanics and decisions were good ones. But there's there's definitely a lot of room for kind of common ground, and we could can meet in the middle and say yeah you're right about that or yeah you're right about that so yeah and i think the post i did on twitter kind of blew up because this voice uh, has not really been heard because of the overwhelming positive feedback uh, eternal got Mm -hmm. so we're definitely in in the minority but there is a public that didn't feel heard sure so there's a reason why i think that you're a, a perfectly good example of someone who should be able to say that they don't like it and then list their reasons and people should perhaps respect it a bit um, because your game is quite derivative of the you know the old school doom and you've you've cut your teeth in the gaming industry uh, in the AAA industry and then moved on to you know start your career with Nightmare Reaper and work on something independent you have a yeah. lot of uh, you'll have a lot of background here so it's but not like you're clear, just some guy to be clear my game is not like it's not this is all to do a, a better game than Eternal. Like that's not at all, <laughs> at all what I'm saying. Like my game is just a, a, a dumb indie game. I tried to make it fun, but it's. I'm not saying my game is better than Eternal. I'm not saying I took better decisions and everything. Just to be clear, <laughs> I think that you have the right to speak, and you've you have the credentials to back up your point of view. Fair, yeah, yeah. I think I protected myself enough. I said, uh... <laughs> <laughs> "All right." So, first and foremost, what what like? Let's go point by point. Like your first big gripe. What do you, what like stands out to you immediately? This is not something that I cared for when it comes to Doom Eternal. The main problem is uh, is the gameplay itself, if you will. There there is a bigger problem, which I think is the the reason why this game is the way it is. Uh, it's because of like overproduction and trying to. It, it feels like a designer had an idea for a game. He played a bunch of other games and he wanted his game to be like that, like regardless of what people like or regardless of what Doom is. And uh, he changed the gameplay, I feel, dramatically compared to the old Dooms, but also compared to 2016. It doesn't seem like much because it's it feels similar at the start, but the gameplay is completely different. So uh, I could it, I could see that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it not, feels not like uh, I, I'm gonna straight up say it like a, a third person action game. Like I feel there's huge like uh, parts of it that feel like stuff like Bloodborne or Devil May Cry. Uh, even like God of War and stuff like that, the uh, huge 
amount of influence from uh, like these third-person console games, and not so much from the old Doom. The 2016 was anyway the way I saw it was taking elements from the old Doom and bringing back these elements into modern AAA games, like especially in the level design in. 2016, there were many levels that uh, you could clear areas in different orders and you could like do they weren't 100% linear. Near the end of the game that changed, but there there were a bunch of levels that were more open and that was like very refreshing for me compared to uh, all the AAA uh, linear shooters we had. Mm -hmm. And in Eternal, this is completely gone. And there are many aspects of 2016 that uh, got lost. I felt 2016, once again, was bringing classic games into the modern AAA. And I felt like Internal was like, nah, let's ignore all that and just make a modern AAA game that looks like other modern AAA games. Okay. I, I think that's a good place to start digging in. <laughs> that's the overall uh, theory I have around this so let's just like put a pin in exactly what the point is and put it up here on the metaphorical whiteboard of ideas i had the same conversation with someone where regardless of how you feel about the decision doom eternal for sure is more like a bloodborne style game in that if you do not play it in the way that it's quote meant to be played then you will lose you you don't have any freedom of how you play the game you have so, some, but it's so limited and right. so strict that, uh, yeah, I agree with that. I feel like that's fair. I, I guess I didn't think of it that way uh, while playing it, but um, put put to me that way, I can I can understand that. I think um, that's a great point where you point out the similarities between Doom Eternal and some of the Soulsborne-esque, you know, that, that genre, that subgenre of action games where you have to learn the dance to be successful and in any of the Soulsborne games you have to really get the you know the dodging and the parrying and the stamina use and all that stuff has to be practiced and sort of drilled into you and i think it's a very fair point to make that it's like in internal you kind of feel that same pressure to learn the skills and use them the right way to succeed uh, i guess from my perspective just the way i you know engaged with the game and enjoyed it it was like, I'm learning the dance. I'm kind of learning the steps of this combat loop, as the developers called it. And it's like, I think what they intended was we want to give everyone the tools to meet certain challenges. And as they learn how to use those tools effectively, they are kind of just building proficiency in the game. So I, I totally think it's fair that you're losing some trade. There's a trade-off there. You're losing some freedom in how you approach different situations but you're gaining a more, uh, I think, defined or more focused sort of goal in your combat where it's like um, you know exactly what tools can be used to solve certain problems. Like, let's say the the whiplash is a fast demon that can outmaneuver you very easily, but the freeze bomb is the, uh, the tool to use. So maybe you feel like, I can see how you could feel like, oh, I wish I could approach this in different ways. But I think Doom Eternal's goal was like, let's speed things up so that you're always having pressure put on you and you have to think really fast on your feet to meet all these different challenges. Um, and th this is all to say, like, 
that's not for everyone. That kind of approach is definitely not for everyone. So like I, I can see how if you played 2016, which I did and I loved that game as well, I feel like you could kind of use all the different weapons in 2016 in many different ways. They all had sort of uh multiple applications, whereas in Eternal, all the guns are like very specific for certain applications. Everything just has more of a purpose to it. And for me, I'm like, I, I enjoy that because that means I learn the dance faster. That means I get better faster. That means I sort of know the challenge and I know how to meet it. But you could also see it as I feel restricted. I feel kind of railroaded. So that's kind of my uh, my half-assed defense, but that's just how I saw it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all to say. Um, fair point. That's That's fair. I just saw it differently, I guess. It's what you say is entirely true. I just didn't like the, this dance, you know. Sure. I, I want a different dance. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. And this is the only dance the game will allow you. Yeah. I, I think it. In yeah, definitely in older games, you in the older Doom games, I should say, you just generally had more freedom of how you wanted to play the game. As you said, you like I don't like this dance. Like they force you to uh, fall into exactly that combat loop and another point that i think that you would probably make is i think you did make this if i'm looking over your list correctly yeah was how it the the actual combat loop is so repetitive and you kind of just go in that circle of this is how you this is how you platform to the next section. Then you see a few enemies and you you know farm some health if you have to and then you're in a big arena where you just fight through them and then live down repeat sort of with that. It couldn't be more repetitive. Yeah. The the other problem, it it would be fine if it wasn't so grueling because the missions are so long and there's so many collectibles. Like, I I just look at a level and I'm stressed. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) it's going to take a while. I have to get all the unlockables or else I'm going to miss on things yeah it's it's definitely overwhelming at times i i guess one thing i would push back on though i think you mentioned in your original post and you kind of uh touched on this earlier just now was the linearity of the missions sometimes you feel sort of funneled through the levels um and i guess i would say that um one thing in defense of eternal was the mechanic of fast travel uh i think that there's a problem with like, what if I accidentally finish the mission and I leave some collectibles on the table and you know, the options there to always go back and find them again, or even before you leave the game tells you don't want to go back. No, yeah, that's the thing though. But even before you, I get that. But even before you leave the level, the game tells you fast travel is now available. So you can go to like any point. I have missed this message two or three times. Sure. And I'm not a newbie. I've played games my whole life. I pay attention to things, but I missed it. I I guess I would just say like, to be fair to the game, it does tell you that, you know, you can go back and look for things. Being a game designer, when players miss things in my own game, I feel like I failed because it wasn't clear enough. Even if it's very clear which there are many things that yeah. i feel are very clear but people still miss them yeah i guess so, to be, if um yeah. if i was going to give advice to uh id software be like yeah you're telling the player they can fast travel now and go back for collectibles but uh that message you're giving them is like this tiny little pop-up in one upper corner of the screen maybe 
maybe make it like this big flashy thing, kind of like when they pick up a collectible. Like, you found this, you know, the blood punch or whatever. Like, tell them and make sure they hear it. <laughs> so, like, yeah, there's there's an argument to be made. Like, if the player doesn't receive you, the message, that it it's kind of the fault of the developers. It should ask you when you want to end the level. Simple as that. That's fair. Yeah, that's also a good point. Because, uh, yeah, that was frustrating. <laughs> And the, I don't want to replay levels also. And you have to replay the entire level. And these are long levels. Well, you can always quit when you find what you wanted to go back and find. Because like the yeah. progression stays the same. It, if, it, if it's at the end, you're screwed. Which is it I always guess. is. It always is at the end, too. Because you you make sure you clear a section before going to the, the other one. And the structure is so clear and linear that you always know, okay, this section, I'm going to be done. i got to complete this one. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> And if you're unlucky like me and you get the bug where the the purple keys, uh, what are those? These the Slayer keys? Slayer gates? Yeah. They didn't spawn for me. Yeah, I've heard of that happening. So I was like, I can never complete this level and I don't want to replay it. It's going to take way too long. Yeah, that's fair. I, I had this one glitch, uh, just as a quick aside. When I first started playing, like right after launch, I had this one glitch where in an early level, like one of the first three levels or so, the cultist base, it's called for anyone who's played and knows about it. Um, this one point in the map, I would go up an elevator and right as I step off of it, the game crashed every single time. And I kept like rebooting and trying again, like what the hell is happening? Like this is, this is ridiculous. This is bullshit. Like it's just crashing the game every time I get off this elevator. And I finally found a workaround, but it's like, yeah, when that's, that's, I think you could argue obviously a game breaking bug and that's, a huge strike against the game and the and the and the studio, but uh, you know, thank God for patches and upkeep, I guess. But still, um, that's that's hard to excuse, obviously. When I've you, had many bugs, uh, yeah. I'm not going to go into them all. But, sure. Uh, yeah, the point where the enemies were behind a locked door, and I needed to kill them to open the locked door. I was like, what? Right. And they were just in. It was a transparent wall, and they were in fighting behind the wall and they were, they I were just, paying attention to me and i was like come come out it's it's like a schrodinger's demon like that's inside a locked room you can't proceed until you kill them but you can't kill them until you proceed and yeah. i just picture hugo martin laughing like yeah, figure that one out asshole <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> I, I thought it was like i missed something i, I was right. like for half an hour going through the level and i just restarted the whole thing it's the kind yeah, of thing american mcgee would have done on purpose <laughs> <laughs> i think so yeah Man, but yeah, it is, it's. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I was done. It is a bit frustrating in general when you, when you talk about you know a AAA studio like id Software, the pinnacle of game design, and to release a game you know with, that has game breaking bugs in it is quite annoying. But then there's the alternative argument where I I feel that there's a simplicity that uh, a lot of Doom players hearken to, like we we love and appreciate about the original Doom series is that it is very simple. It's not, like, complicated. You don't have to, like, do a big brain thinking. And oftentimes, you were talking about the the hints and everything about, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. Our brains are, like, trained not to look at that shit. Like, oh, I don't need yeah. all that extra information. I just want to shoot some demons. And that can be a very frustrating thing to kind of have to adapt to, I guess, or even to yeah. even want to adapt to. It's just not the kind of thing that I, I'd see 
a lot of old school Doom players appreciating when they move on to this game. And clearly, it's yeah. very muddled. Not everybody feels the same way. I mean, yeah, I, I was going into this thinking, comparing it to, to 2016 more than than the classic ones. Because personally, yeah. I'm a huge fan of the classic ones, but I'm I want more complexity in my shooters. You know, I like the progression. I like finding unlockables and secrets. It's just it has to be done in a, a good way, a satisfying way. Yeah, one one last thing I would say to just attack on to what we were talking about earlier about I guess my thing about the weapons and the combat and how it railroads the player. I, I would say that I, I think if you spend enough time with it and you you know get a feel for all the different weapons and abilities and how they synergize with each other, you might find that there's a lot more freedom than initially was available to you. Like when you first start out in Doom Eternal and you're just given the shotgun and the two mods for it and then you progress up and you have the plasma rifle and like you're getting bits and pieces of the toolbox that will eventually be fully available to you. And you might think, Oh, well this gun's only good for this application. This gun's only good for this enemy. I think like when you kind of wait for the payoff and get to the payoff, you're like these mods and these guns do so many different things that aren't obvious. Like the, I guess just as an example, the uh, microwave beam mod for the plasma rifle when I first got it, I was like, this is dog shit. This thing's useless. What? Because like, when you lock onto an enemy with it, you'll zap them and they freeze and they, they start, they explode after you charge them up long enough, but you also stop moving. And obviously in Doom or Doom in general or Doom Eternal specifically, if you stop moving, you die. So like, why would I use this? But I, it was pointed out to me that if you just kind of like zap like a quick burst, you, you stun lock them and you can keep moving. You just zap, move, zap, move. And like, it's a stun lock move. Maybe it's an exploit, but it's also kind of like taking advantage of what's available to you. And there's like tricks that players find when they kind of play with the combat loop and the weapon rhythm and the ability rhythm. When they play with it, they, they find possibilities that weren't obviously, or sorry, immediately obvious to them. So I don't know. I, I would say there's maybe a bit more depth than is obvious to the combat loop, but I that's that's behind this obvious brick wall of you need to learn the dance first. And I, I can see how that's off-putting to some players, but that would that would just kind of be my one. That, Last is, point not, on that. that is not my issue with it. I'm sure. perfectly fine with a lot of options, a lot of complexity, and I agree. There are a lot of them. The weapon mods are probably the best part of uh, the weapon system or the combat system. My, my problem is something else entirely. It's that it's it's like a toy, a heavily designed toy that does something in some con- uh, in some circumstances and something else in others. Like just shooting a weapon, you don't feel like there's bullets coming out of it and you can't see like the impacts of, of individual bullets. What you see is I shot in this general direction. Now the toy is going to calculate what's happening in the level, what kind of monsters are close, and then it's going to decide what happens. That's that's this feeling of some uh, like a, an entity that's thinking about what I'm doing and deciding what should happen for me. Like I'm not doing this. There's there's too much of that. I found hmm. like every weapon is supposed to uh, is like overpowered for for enemy X. For example, the shotgun with a grenade launcher. You shoot one on a caco with, with his mouth open. Uh-huh. 
even if you're not like quite there, doesn't matter. The 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 game will teleport your grenade into his mouth, and then you can insta kill him. But usually, yeah. like a grenade, you're gonna have to shoot five of them to kill a Kaku. So what's happening here? These types of things are a detriment to me. It, it feels overproduced. I want to see my bullets. I want to feel that my bullets always have the same damage. You know, hmm. I want. I don't want a simulation, but right. Yeah. I guess like, that's. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the old. Just, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. You, I, I just okay. want to make sure you got to finish your sentence. Okay. The when you shoot monsters, they they lose parts of their bodies. Like that's that's amazing, but you don't get the satisfaction of that because you don't feel your bullets. Like you shoot generic in the generic direction of the enemy. The boxes are massive around them and. They lose parts of their bodies, but you don't see your bullet going there. Like sometimes you do, but I mean, in general, I feel like everything is kind of vague and something behind the curtains is deciding what actually happens. Hmm. <laughs> it's it's very vague, but that it's a feeling. It's no, I get that. I guess that's maybe just a natural byproduct of a game focusing more on like movement and positioning than aiming. Like they don't want you to think too much about That's another thing. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. <laughs> I want to be a shooter. It's it's a shooter, but you don't do that much shooting compared to other games. You do plenty you of shoot, shooting. It's just it just the shooting doesn't take And then you melee kill them. Right. Constantly meleeing people like non-stop I, mean, I love that so but but I get yeah. It's I, fine. I, it's fine for a bit. It's fine when you sure. decide to do it because that's what you want to do now, but you have to do it all the time. Yeah. I, I was thinking about, you know, this this concept you bring up of, you know, you want your weapons to feel like they have impact and you want the projectiles to really feel like game objects, you know, they have consequence in the game world. And I'm just wondering if like Eternal loses some of that just as a natural consequence of the the developers wanting to program in these hard counters to enemies. Like certain enemies have a hard counter where, you know, like you mentioned, the Kaku Demon and the Sticky Bomb. Like you have to get it in the mouth. You have to like wait for the animation to line up a little bit. But um, certain enemies just respond in different ways to different weapons. It doesn't feel like the rules apply the same way across the game. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like the the guns should all have or kind of play by the same rules, but the the mechanics kind of change the rules of the weapons too much. Yes, that's a big a big part of it. I can see that. I can understand that. Like a weapon that does more damage, if it's not the key weapon for that enemy at that time, it's going to do less damage, which right. doesn't make any sense to me, and it's frustrating. The thing I like about it, though, is that it's it makes it... Fe- I, I guess I, I know where you're coming from, where it feels less like a shooter and more like... You know, a puzzle game but for me it's like i kind of i kind of appreciate and enjoy that sense of i'm shooting i'm shooting demons but beyond shooting i'm also kind of playing this high speed game of chess where i have to think about my next move and i i kind of like how there's a lot of things going on at once but i understand how all of that happening at once makes you feel like you're losing that sense of just i'm playing a shooter like some some of the shooter elements are taking a backseat to the uh, high speed strategy elements and the puzzle elements and the hard counters and the dance and all that. There's a lot happening that sort of crowds out the shooter vibe, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure that 
I think there are other uh, first-person shooter games that also have a lot of action and a lot of requiring you to move a lot. Like maybe not as much, but I'm not sure. Sure. Because yeah. I don't think you need to like have this setup to keep the player busy and have the player dodge a lot. Mm-hmm. But but maybe you're right. Maybe it's because of uh, maybe it, it cranks up the intensity. But yeah, that'd be my guess. I'm not sure. Yeah. Can I interrupt for a second? Yes, of course. I just wanted to open my beer. <laughs> um, no, to, I, I think I can kind of articulate maybe where we're at here is part of the design that Hugo was kind of showing off, you know, and telling everybody this is going to be fucking awesome. He was on Joe Rogan saying this, and you, you actually <laughs> used the phrase we're we're talking about a it feels like a high speed chess match mm-hmm. to a lot of players. I feel that the way that Doom Eternal functions in in a combat sense and in a weapons uh, usage sense is what takes it away from being a shooter and takes it more into being like that that big brain high speed chess thing is that all of the weapons I think Bruno kind of alluded to this a bit was they, they all seem to not have a consistent amount of damage that they do and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what enemy you use them for instance you can shoot an enemy like a hundred times with a rocket launcher and then they go into their kill state and then you just go up and you hit them with a, with a sword thing. Like you're not, am I supposed to believe that a rocket launcher wasn't going to kill them? Like, you know, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I sure. don't know why my knife does more damage or, you know, is, is the finishing weapon to what, you know, what could have easily just been a, an explosion kill, which makes a lot more um, logical sense. However, Within the rules of the game, and this is what makes it a bit more like a board game than like a you know a first person shooter. Within the rules of the game, you know you just understand eventually how things work in this universe, and then you can just go along with that and have a good time. So for a lot of people, uh, Bruno seems to be one of them. I, I know quite a few of them. It feels like their attempt to create an end game logic that you have to follow challenges their actual logic like their real life logic of how a you know how this would work if i shot someone in the face with a rocket launcher sure yeah the game definitely has its own uh set of set of rules its own its own sense of reality that Mm -hmm. if you don't embrace it the game doesn't really make sense to you or it's not going to be fun for you if you if you if it just doesn't jibe with how you normally approach a shooter or you normally play a game it's going to feel kind of uh disassociating i I totally get that i think even hugo was kind of making that point like you have to sort of you have to sort of uh, feel it and like get into the flow of it and um otherwise it's just going to be kind of frustrating or something it's uh, i i it's it's definitely a game that doesn't like uh extend that bridge to you maybe as well as it could um you you really have to meet it halfway and yeah. kind of embrace the rules uh and and like you said uh its own set of internal logic i guess which can be hard yeah i think hugo definitely knew this i think he he said i think in a no clip interview that uh he, the game will show you how to play it for it to be fun mm-hmm. and i think he kind of succeeded because just because of the like crazy positive uh reception it got but it didn't work for me (laughs) yeah and that's pretty much all my gripes with the like the combat itself 
there's some minor things, but I don't have much else to say on that. Okay. I would say just to, just to wrap up that section of this conversation, uh, Bruno, much nothing but respect for you know where you're coming from. I totally get it. I just personally had a lot of fun with it, but I I, I hear where you I I'm hearing you. I see you. You are valid. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but the Doom brand does not see me, and it's probably just gonna go <laughs> in a, that direction. That's a travesty. They're gonna keep floating. Well, there's the indie games. They're always there for me. It's always there. Yeah. So. I think that section was the the side of the argument that sort of favored Bruno as the you know shooter designer. Sure. And now we're going to move into a section that I think <laughs> don't, favors. Don't say that. I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not an authority. I made you're, one game. More of an authority than I am, at least. You're so impossible, man. He, <laughs> I swear to God, he will not take a compliment. <laughs> no, you can say a, a childhood trauma of some some kind, but uh, I, not <laughs> I know that game. <laughs> So we're moving into a section now that I think, Connor, this is way more up your alley, and that is the discussion of Doom Guy and the story of this game and how it relates to 2016 and everything. Oh, yeah. So I I will have to be honest before I start talking about being impartial. I'm not totally impartial on this, so I'm just going to let you guys hash it out and interject when I feel like like it's necessary. But uh, can you kind of give us... I feel like you probably paid more attention than we did to what the story is. So what is the story of Doom Eternal? It's a, it's a great question. There's a lot. Um, there's more than meets the eye on this. Um, it, it's, it's funny because Doom Eternal could be viewed like the story of it could be, could be viewed in um, the really simplistic manner of uh, angry man. Who's too angry to die uh, saves the earth, but that has consequences. And that's basically it. Like, like you could literally leave the game there, and it would make sense to you. But if you wanted to, you could dig deeper and learn more about the Sentinels and the Argenta and the Makers, and you know the dark pact they made with with the Demon Lords of Hell, and you know where the Slayer himself comes from and how he gained his power. There's a lot there, but what's nice about it is that it's optional. You can just kind of ignore the Codex, and the game still makes sense in the in the fact of just i'm gonna kill demons and there may be some people telling me to not kill demons but uh fuck them i don't care like it doesn't matter i'm I'm the slayer and that's what i do it's it's kind of cool how like there's different lenses you can experience the story of the game through um maybe it's a bit of a double-edged sword though if you pardon the pun because there's a big double-edged sword in the game but uh (laughs) it's that optional aspect of the story where like if you don't want to you can just not read the uh, codex um that unfortunately the side effect of that is that the story um if you do want to experience it feels kind of stilted feels kind of uh watered down because all you're doing is reading it you're not really experiencing it um so there's a there's a downside to it where yeah you could ignore it but if you choose not to ignore it you're maybe not experiencing it to its full potential but I'm sorry. Your question was, "What is the story?" Um, but what, what's cool about Eternal is that it really tied in the old game, the old games to uh, the kind of rebooted universe of the 2016 game. So, the original Doom guy, the Marine from Doom One, Doom Two, who was the survivor of the Mars invasion, went to hell. Uh, basically, Doom Eternal implies that that guy 
was carried through dimensions and ended up on another planet called um, Argentinur or Sentinel Prime. I'm actually not sure which one it was. Um, and he was kind of adopted and trained by this warrior-like culture called the Argenta, and he joined their elites, their elite core of knights called the Sentinels, and he uh, just you know, wanted to rip and tear, and he stopped talking. He wasn't able to speak after that. And then the Argenta went to war with the demons and it turned out that the demons and the makers were kind of working together. Um, and then doom 2016 happens. Uh, and after 2016 happens, earth is invaded by hell and the makers are actually helping the demons invade earth and the slayer is stopping it. But in return or in the process, he's basically dooming this high tech, uh, very advanced race of, angel-like beings to extinction but he doesn't care because he's the slayer and so he kind of makes enemies of them as well so yeah it's just it's just a guy who you know wants to save humanity and everything else is uh secondary and uh doesn't matter to him and you know there's all this stuff with you know samuel hayden and vega that even i'm still not sure i understand yet (laughs) But, but that's that's basically the gist of it i i did i would say that it's one of the aspects of doom eternal that I enjoyed the most because I just liked um, kind of getting the background on things as a short break between killing and butchering. And, you know, I'm going to kill some demons and I'm going to read some story, kill some more demons, read some more story. I kind of liked that. And the fact that they tied in the original doom Marine and made, uh, made it canon that he's the same guy as the slayer was pretty cool. I think. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for the rant. <laughs> no, that's good. That's We're good. listening uh, patiently. <laughs> Very patiently. <laughs> I read I read all the the notes, all the the story in the game because mm-hmm. for me story is also very important. I love the story in 2016. I read every single page also. But I think Eternal suffers from too many names, too many different locations. Sure. I'm, I'm talking just about the when you read the story. Mm-hmm. I was super confused and at some point I, I just stopped caring. There's just so much and a lot of it is not and I mean it's it's interesting, but you forget about it because there's too many names and stuff, and then you right. see like a sentinel in the game, you're like, Who's that guy? I have no idea. Or the king, you don't quite get what's happening with that guy. So, yeah, it it takes it takes a huge investment of kind of time and thought to really piece together the codex entries because I think a problem was that they were sort of given to the player throughout the game in a kind of a disjointed, like they weren't chronological. So if you go from one level to another, the entries don't really flow into each other. They feel kind of all over the place. So it's kind of like you have to just beat the game and then maybe uh, think like go back and read what you, what you picked up and, it, it it's it's a mess. I will admit that it's definitely a mess. I, I I liked what I eventually put together and understood, but yeah, it's presented to the player in a bit of a messy way. And my other issue is is more of a long winded one. Uh, Go off. That's cool. <laughs> uh, 2016 kind of felt like Half Life to me. You're like you get into this situation, you don't really know who you're playing and then just stuff happens to you and it never cuts from your view. You're going through this facility, things happen, you meet people, 
you react to them. And there's always like a strand connecting every action you do. And you're always seeing all of this through your eyes. The camera never really leaves. It does for like zooms and stuff, but not really. So it has it had a really nice half-life quality to it. And it's just gone in Eternal. You're, there's tons of third-person cinematics, and you're tugged away from this part of the universe to the next. There's no real connection between these parts. There isn't in the story, but you don't you don't live it, you know, you can just yeah. chill on your spaceship for like hours. And then when you're ready, you go do that other thing. But that's that while the spaceship is nice to decompress that cut that it makes detracts from the overall, uh, satisfaction of being immersed in the story. I found, I don't know if you understand what I mean. No, I get it. it does it feel like it doesn't make sense for the Slayer to take a break like that and hang out in his, space bachelor pad that's another part of it okay (laughs) it's more just that it it breaks the the connection like imagine if gordon freeman in the middle of his uh escape he he just went to like an employee's lounge and just there for like a while and then okay i'm gonna go back to escaping this that would be cool but no yeah you're right it would be really weird i what's good is that you're always pushed like in 2016 to mm -hmm. go the next place for a very specific reason and you're invested in it it has to be done now yeah i i did really really like uh the the scale and the attention to detail and just the flow and pacing of 16 like i think you're absolutely right about how that's a great comparison half-life is a comparison i didn't think of but that's a great comparison because it's you know it's a series of events that you can follow pretty easily you're you're kind of in the in his shoes for it and just going through it with him um, in Eternal, I appreciate that it was really kind of zooming the camera out a bit, trying to broaden the scope of the game, not just the story, but the game world and kind of where the events take place. I I like that they were broadening the scope, but I think in return they lose a bit of focus. That's a good point, where you're not really living the events as uh, immersively in Eternal, maybe. And um, I, I just like that they really put a lot more effort into the world building and you just kind of get some really cool flavor text in the process. But um, I can see what you mean by, you know, you're losing some, uh, uh, that, that kind of slice of life quality that 2016 had where you're, you know, exactly what's going down and, you know, the goals are very well-defined and you know what the motivations are and eternal got a little uh, confusing with that maybe. I don't think it's a sacrifice they had to make, though. I think you could have this expanded world and still keep it uh, immediate and, you know, motivating and immersive. Like, there's no reason to show Doom Guy in third person just stay in in his eyes. That's well, you gotta show off those skins somehow. Yeah, that's that's another thing. (laughs) For me, it's super important that. You just, you never go out of his eyes. That's so immersive for me. And when you break that, it just takes me out of the moment. And mm-hmm. that that was one thing that oh, once again I love about 2016. That she's just gone. I personally just thought. I mean, yeah, I'm playing the game as a slayer. I'm doing the killing and the shooting and the moving as a slayer. But every now and then, I'm kind of zooming out and seeing what he does in certain situations. 
And I'm like, no, that's that's fine because like I I don't know, I like I kind of just prefer third person games in general because I like to take in more details of the characters and kind of see them move about the world uh, a bit more fully. So I, I didn't have a problem with the third person segments, but I also wouldn't have been mad if everything stayed first person. Like when when you pull Hayden's body out of that out of that lab about partway through the game, right before you meet the Marauder, I thought that was kind of cool how you're going from the first person image of the Slayer grabbing you know Hayden's robot body and dragging it, and then it kind of shifts focus because the way the Marauder is introduced, that's kind of a cinematic or sorry cinematic showdown moment where it would not really have made a lot of sense to just stay first person for that because the camera needed to sort of move around the marauder and give him that floor to you know toe to head sort of introduction i think that's a creative choice and yeah obviously it's subjective some people like it some people don't but i thought it kind of made sense for what they were trying to do yeah i disagree completely (laughs) that's fine i think first person would have been better and in pretty much anything I can imagine, like the Marauder presentation, it's fine if his hands do something on our screen, but like, just it, it looks less imposing when you're outside of the eyes of the Doomslayer to see this other guy, and I don't know. Yeah. I, I want to feel the things. And just to take one example from uh, a scene in the story, when you Doom guy gets into uh, an escape capsule. And it's shut down on, I don't remember, because <laughs> there's so many locations. I think he's shut down on Mars or yeah, that's another way. Yeah. planet. Yeah, it's Mars. And it's all, you, you don't see it. It's in third person. You see the capsule falling. Imagine if you were like in first person. You, you're in the capsule. You see, he enters the atmosphere. You see the fire in the, in the window. And then you feel the impact. That would have been amazing. I feel like that would have been kind of limiting the the scope of what was happening there, though, because you're in third person. You're seeing the horizon of the shattered planet. You're seeing uh, an imp that sort of you know sees the pod fly by. You're seeing the impact. You you would miss a lot of that stuff if you were just stuck inside the pod. It's not immersive, though. Like <laughs> I was, I was plenty immersed. I don't know about you, buddy, but I was plenty immersed. <laughs> I was not. I okay, was not. we're at an impasse. Then I, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's another opinion. I'm. I'm very hard on, I, I think almost every first person is just better, but that, that's me. That's I'm fine. Just, yeah, you know. that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Let's get back to the hub. There, sure. there are some things going on in the hub that, you know, first of all, you could make the debate of whether or not there should be a hub, but let's just accept that there is one. But some of the things that go on within it, I feel like that were sort of contentious, and I'm curious to know your guys' uh, ideas about that. Mm-hmm. So, Bruno, one of your key points was just the things that were in the rooms. You know, like Doom Guy has this, like, essentially like a bachelor pad. He's got Funko Pops and guitars that look like axes from a Kiss concert. What's what's <laughs> going on? I don't know. I mean, he could have. It wasn't necessary to do all that. Uh, they took it this way. He still has hobbies and stuff. And I understand that when you're not killing demons all the time, you got to find a way to pass the time. But I think it also loses a lot of the metal quality that the game had, you know? you They could have... They didn't need all this. I don't have much else to say. 
What do you think? Yeah, sure. I, um, I guess I would, I would disagree just in the sense that, um, the hub gives the developers a huge opportunity to, uh, include so much of so much like fan service, uh, Easter egg type type content where you can have like a torn photograph on the floor that if you zoom in on, you can see like, Oh, maybe that was the Marines family at some point or something, or you can access the computer and play classic doom on it. And, you know, the cheat codes. I, I feel like with the amount of things they were trying to include in the game, as far as, you know, cheat codes and the, the collectibles and uh, the weapon gallery, like it, it would be really hard to do that without some sort of hub environment. That would, all that stuff would kind of suck. If it was just in menus. You had to go back to the main menu to see any of that. Uh, it, I don't have a problem with the, the hub sure. itself. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was just saying the way they made Doom guy. Yeah, that's that's what also what you learn about him in the hub. Yeah, Hmm. that's where I'm coming from as well. I'm not against there being a hub. I'm I'm not against anything because I'm the impartial host. (laughs) (laughs) I just I do feel that there is an argument to be made that the hub, some of the stuff that you find within the hub and that you learn about Doom Guy in the hub or Doom Slayer or whatever you want to call him, is very counter what he's supposed to be about or what a lot of people feel that he's supposed to be about or hmm. like I I suppose that's a that's you could you could argue that I guess the way I saw it was that you know yes the slayer is sort of a singular he has like a singular focus on his goal and can't be persuaded he's kind of psychopathic in a way and he's a force of nature but I think in some on some deep level he's still a man trying to connect with with humanity in some ways trying to hold on to some relics of his past. He's still very mercurial and enigmatic, but I, th- I think it's kind of nice to have these little artifacts of maybe what the Slayer once was maybe back way back when he was just a simple Marine from earth uh, and back to, uh, you know, a little forward to when he was a uh, Sentinel and we served with the, with the Argenta Knights. I, I, I kind of, it's, it's like a world building thing. It's like a flavor text thing. Uh, that I that I personally appreciated. Um, maybe it wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't necessary. Maybe uh, some people d- didn't feel the need to read those things into the Slayer. Maybe like that's all just baggage uh, to some people. But uh, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I kind of liked you know thinking maybe underneath this exterior of a you know totally bloodthirsty mayhem crazed guy, there is this person who just you know still appreciates guitars and collecting albums and stuff like but also it was like i don't know just a fun way to decompress between levels but yeah i i get it it might not jive with you know preconceptions of who the slayer is who the doom guy is but i kind of liked imagining little bits and pieces of what might be going on in his head sort of like maybe inserting my own mind onto his a little bit that uh, maybe the way they saw the hub was was not like you shouldn't take it seriously. I think there's a lot of jokes in there. That was my impression too. Yeah, I think it's like some kind of side thing that's not necessarily hundred percent connected to like the the world and the atmosphere of the rest of the game. And maybe that's why I think it wasn't necessary, or there's a, like a disconnect or something. I could see that. But I do like that it's like a pause between missions. 
but that's mainly because these missions are so long and stressful and demanding. Yeah, definitely. This is why I really like what you, you know you and Abu and all those guys do over at Lore Party is that I'd never even considered that Doom guy had a life before Doom One. Yeah, right. Except it's, for the downtown level, or like when you you know kind of visit his to some extent. Like, is this my house or is this is my neighborhood? Right. Like, but uh, there's an even deeper argument probably to be made in terms of like the original Doom games, as much as we kind of like reminisce on them, thinking. Oh, there. You know, the story didn't matter, and all this kind of thing. But it was, it was a choice, just like it is here. It, you could choose to just see, like, all right, I'm just here to shoot the demons and get past the door. That's it. Or you could look into it a bit further and pay attention to the map and the in between screens and the the names of the levels and piece together this whole story of like, well, there's you know this shit going on in the moons of Mars and yada yada yada, and then eventually people came up with a much bigger lore than was originally presented at face value hmm. so i'm glad that you kind of made me consider that because i i was kind of holding on to my perspective of i just want doom guy to be nothing but a pure badass with no humanity to him whatsoever right but, yeah i think you have a really a really good perspective there in terms of like what you can learn about him through the hub thank but, you and and yeah i would say there's there's like it's not, I don't mean to say it's like a bad interpretation of Doom Guy to like just, just see him as the guy who kills demons. Like, that's a perfectly valid way to read his character. I, I just, I do like that you can kind of go as deep as you want with it. You can kind of leave it where it is. Uh, you, you, there are things we know about the Slayer that are kind of not up for debate, but, and, and we just leave it there. Or you could dig in and really uh, see what's under the surface. But, yeah, it's it's a deceptively deep game. That's what I love about Doom. Like, there's actually some lore to it. Even even back in the originals, when I, when I played, when I was like in first grade, <laughs> which I shouldn't have been at the time, but it did anyway. Like, it was there's more to it than just blood and guts and gore. Um, but that's that's what's so appealing to me about about these games. Bruno, yeah. you you brought up the point of Doom guy bowing down at yeah. one point, which was to me also extremely offensive. <laughs> It's just you see him in 2016 is he's like really filled with rage. I understand he just mm-hmm. woke up and he was probably pissed, but <laughs> I feel like a lot of this is is missing from Eternal. Like I, he can be more relaxed and thoughtful, but there's not enough rage. You know, that, that's one thing that I felt was missing. He bows down to to a guy. He, there's a bunch of machines he doesn't straight up destroy. In yeah. 2016, he broke like everything. Like, <laughs> just a monitor. He's talking to a guy and he punches the monitor. No, no reason. Like, there's that. That was such a tasty flavor they added to yeah. 2016 that is not entirely missing from Eternal, but there's there's not enough. There's I, a whole I, part oh, sorry, of Doom 2016 where there's an entire mission where you're going around destroying these uh, argent- in creative ways. Yeah. And Samuel is like on the line with you, be like, "What are you doing? You know that this has like terrible consequences if you keep doing that. You're going to cut off the energy supply and all this shit. Like it's, and Doom Guy doesn't give a fuck about that. <laughs> he's he's like, evil is wrong and suck it. Like just oh, yeah. breaking shit. And now he he feels like he's got a he's got some kind of artificial conscience. I mean, to did. be fair, 
he shoots an old true Mars. <laughs> That's you gotta, true. You've got to give cool. him that. Yeah, you do have to give him that. <laughs> Credit I where credit's due. I, I did love the moments in 16 where, you know, the trappings of uh, human science or the UAC corporation or whatever, th- th- they don't matter at all to Doom guys. Like, I don't care. I'm breaking your shit. And for context sake, yeah, he like he just woke up and he, you know, his last memory before that probably was being buried alive in that temple where the demons trapped him. And so he wakes up pissed, understandably. He wakes up to a situation of humans, you know, meddling in hellish affairs that they shouldn't, they have no business in. So he's like, you fucking idiots, you <laughs> brought demons to this planet and I have to clean up after you. So I'm pretty upset, understandably. But yeah, in, in Eternal, it does feel like the tone changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's maybe had time to cool off. He's had time to sort of plan some stuff out. Um, you you notice in 16, whenever you get a new weapon mod, you punch the little robot that's carrying it. because <laughs> it's like, Let go. Let go of this thing. It's mine now. But in Eternal, whenever you get a new mod, it's a little Vegas drone, or sorry, Vega drone that gives it to you. But Vega's your friend now, so you don't punch the drones. <laughs> it's like, there's little clues to, you know, why why the Slayer is maybe not quite as pissed off at certain entities now. When the the bowing thing or the kneeling thing, that's a good point. He does sort of show some reverence and respect to the ghost of King Novik, who was once the ruler of the Argenta. He shows some respect to the betrayer, uh, which is kind of weird because you know why would you bes- why would you respect a betrayer? But I think that just is is a clue of this, these old relationships that the Slayer used to have with the Argenta. Like King Novik used to be sort of you know a well-respected warrior ruler of the Argenta and so uh, the Slayer's like you know I'm going to give you props you know I'm giving you the respect you're due but I'm also taking this thing and you can't stop me so he he still has that vibe of I'm going to do whatever the fuck I need to do and no one's going to stop me but I'm not you know completely bloodthirsty and unreasonable to everybody I guess there's a bit of a tempering that goes on sorry a bit of the the problem i think is maybe they could have built up to that or something yeah there's that gap missing between 16 and eternal where you don't really know what's happening and mm. you're missing some context maybe yeah i think that's where some of the dlc might fit in though yeah if that's what i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. don't worry it'll all be fixed by dlc <laughs> just don't think i'm gonna play dlc sadly. I, I know <laughs> and where's the aiden Aiden was the best part of 2016. I don't know if I'm in the minority here, but I wish he would have come up in Eternal uh, earlier. Yeah, he took a little bit of a backseat. He was a good antagonist, you know, and he was kind of constantly in your ear dragging you along the whole time. I love his voice. I love that he's like gray, not quite black or white. Yeah. Yeah. There is that, um, there's kind of that clue that Samuel Hayden in another life was a, uh, was the Seraphim, the, uh, the maker who granted the Slayer his powers. There's that little kind of oh, nugget yeah. there. That I hope they expand on more. I really hope to learn more about that, but yes, uh, Hayden did kind of take a backseat. Like I liked kind of hearing from him throughout 16 and in eternally sort of relegated to just this role of, uh, expanding on some lore stuff. Like he just kind of, He's just kind of that annoying. He's almost like Navi from from Legend of Zelda. He's yeah. just that annoying voice that sort of pipe, you know, pipes in. Uh, and it's it's not it's not serving that character well to sort of put him in the backseat like that. I think there's something missing because he's not there for a big part of the game. Like you're 
mostly alone. There's Vega, but yeah. he's not very like he doesn't have many emotions or anything. He does right. have. He is cool, but there's yeah, Vega's different. a bro. <laughs> Vega's a total bro. Let's not get that. Let's not get it twisted. But yeah, he's no Hayden. <laughs> so we've kind of talked about the lore and we've talked about the combat, but we haven't really talked, we've touched on it a bit. We haven't talked about the missions themselves. Uh, the main complaint that you were kind of given is the length of them. A lot of people did kind of find them, especially in the higher difficulties, extremely exhausting. Um, we even talked a bit about the combat loop, but we've got to talk about the way that you traverse through these long ass levels. And there's definitely an argument either way. Um, so who wants to start off with that topic? I'm not sure. What do you mean by traverse? You mean the okay. traverse all itself? Or? So, so I'll bring up some just kind of common arguments, and I'll see how you feel about them. And maybe you don't. Maybe this isn't an, an issue you take. But so, as you go through these levels, you have the the obvious combat loop of where you you kill a bunch of enemies, and then you go through these arduous, long platforming sections. Some of them seem very obvious. Some people would argue that it's actually very difficult in some spots to know where you're supposed to go, uh, especially the, the floating coffins. Some people might even argue that it's ridiculous that you should be swinging on like an Olympic pull-up bar you know, to traverse this level that's in hell. Why would the demons uh, put these weird platforms all over hell or whatever planet they're on for the doom guy to be able to get to the next location? I'm just curious, like, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Is there is there a, an explanation within the story of why this stuff exists, or am I supposed to just accept that, oh, it's just a video game, it's silly, who gives a fuck? Like, yeah. I, I wonder. I don't it know. is... Go ahead. Uh, sorry, yeah, really quick. It is It is definitely kind of silly to just, yeah, I'm in, uh, I'm in this dead city of... I'm in the hell city of Necroval, and they have... They have monkey bars here. <laughs> it's, it is, yeah, like, we. hey, come on down to Necroval. We've got it all. We've got climbing walls. We've got slides. It's it's a good time. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, I, I can't really give you a lore explanation for it. I, I really can't. It's it's just kind of a, that's a game mechanic. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to accept it. I get that, though. It's like, it's a bit of a, uh, I don't know, tone issue where it's like, this doesn't seem to fit very well yeah. but it's a mechanic that they want you to have so you have it and it's it's, it's gonna be it's weird though it's actually like probably my favorite improvement <laughs> from 2016 interesting <laughs> but i've always been a, a big fan of first person platforming and i know like once again i'm in the minority that's a, that's an interesting position i like that though yeah i like how it grounds you in the world and it's it's good to know like <laughs> your physical body can, you know, go places and mm. it feels like a real place when you, you can do that. And Have you played this game, Cyberhook? It, the demo just came out for the Steam Festival. No, I, I didn't have time. No, I'll have to look anything. into that. Yeah, please do. Like, if you like first-person platforming, it is some top-notch indie shit. That's good stuff. Sorry. Cool. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah. But uh, that's that's funny. I, I definitely agree. I, I think the... Uh, I mean, I'm in, I'm in some Doom fan groups. Like, there's this one on Facebook that I that I'm in, and like a lot of people complain about the platforming a lot. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I like it though. I think the swinging is, um, it's it's a traversal puzzle that's pretty pretty neat. But it's also a combat tool, like to create distance and get some elevation. Uh, it's it's nice. Like when 
parts of the game mechanics serve multiple purposes like that. I think it's cool. I like that. So I'm glad we agree on that. Yeah, uh, I think it's fun to, even if it doesn't make any sense, it's fun <laughs> to gamify levels. It's fun yeah. to, it makes the levels have interesting shapes and it helps for like scope and it's, it can be scary when there's a huge bit and stuff like that. And I think nice. it's way better than it was done in 2016. Oh, yeah. Plus, it's right. a good way to make finding secrets more interesting than just like activating a wall. Mm-hmm. If you two chumps are just going to hug each other and sing Kumbaya, draft <laughs> Dodgers, I'll play the. I'll yeah. have a heel turn here. There we say, go. Here I go. I'll, fuck it. The the platforming sections. I'm not against the platforming. I actually, as I, I just stated, a game that I love. I love first person platforming. I think it's super fun. I was the biggest touter of like the Jump Jam and Quake that happened earlier this year. I think first-person platforming is one of the most fun and underappreciated things in gaming. I just thought that some of this was dog shit in this particular game because I, mm-hmm. you can't see what direction you're fucking going half the time. You're, there's a whole part where it's like you have to just search around and search around and search around to try to figure out where you're supposed to go, and you fall a hundred times. And I understand oh, yeah, that yeah. it's the game is supposed to teach you. I get that games are, you know the art of making a video game is teaching someone what they're supposed to do or, or allowing them to figure out what they're supposed to do. And I just really felt like it was poorly implemented in this particular game. And I would even say in some of the levels, not in all of the levels. In fact, I feel that it's harder early on before you start getting into the later game. Once you're on Erdact, like you have the dodge mechanic as well as the jump, double jump and everything. And Mm -hmm. it, it makes it makes a lot more sense, and you can actually move with a lot more freedom. But overall, I don't like the floating coffins. I feel like they're fucking dumb. <laughs> it's it's okay if you don't feel you know. It, I I appreciate that it's just a game. However, I I really don't understand why that mechanic has to be there in order for them to tell this story. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was added in because somebody wanted it. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Like, sure, but like, I don't know if it fits. Yeah, but just do it anyway. Like, that's kind of how I feel. It feels like the the big corporate penis on the table just laying there being like, do, do this because I like it. I think they did it to, because uh, the levels are so linear, and if it was just arena after arena after arena, like, it would get just painful. Yeah. Breaks so up the cycle. Yeah, okay. I think that they were like, we got platforming, let's make it a bit more interesting, and that's what you do in between uh, sections. Right. Okay. Yeah, my, yeah, my point of the linearity point uh, I would say that I, I didn't find the missions very linear because you do have these side paths or not really paths, but these side areas you can kind of go off into to find collectibles. And a lot of them do involve those climbing walls. And I think even if it wasn't implemented well in every level, it's kind of like that was the solution for the problem of how do we have jumping puzzles that don't all just involve platforms? Like we got to have something else to jump off of and interact with. And I guess that's where the, climbing walls came from and then but you have these like, totally arbitrary like, ti- like little timer things that are floating yeah. in the middle of the air like th- i don't know it just feels so arcade and so not doom it is definitely very arcadey i give i'll give yeah. you that yeah a couple of things to say about the arcade the, but the, <laughs> the platforming itself also sometimes it just doesn't work like yeah. there's a ton a ton i'm the kind of guy who's gonna find all your out of bounds and there's <laughs> constantly like floors that you, you see them it's there there's clearly a floor and you step on it and you die 
And like you do this nonstop when you're looking for secrets and that this is like unacceptable for me. That That's one of the biggest frustrations I have. What about the secret? I don't know if you guys found it where you have to jump off a cliff to find the dope fish. Yeah, that like one bothered Paris me. Sale, like, to get to this dope fish. And then once yeah, you like, get it, it like makes this stupid jump pad that you fly. Oh, yeah, everything's cool now. Like, where was that before? <laughs> it was like, you're just going to have to throw yourself off this cliff and hope that the secret's down there and that you'll yeah. find it and not die. Yeah. yeah. And the extra life mechanic, if we're going to talk arcane. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> I hate it. It's a nightmare. Yeah. I was glad when I lost all my lives. I was like, oh, a weight off my shoulders. Finally, the taste of sweet death. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet release. (laughs) It's it's stressful to lose your lives. You can't get them back. And then it's it's just stressful. It's like a punitive uh, slap in the face when you die. Like an extra, you messed up. You're never going to get this back. That's interesting. Once you lose them all, then you're free. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't matter. You can die. You respawn. There's no mm. problem. So uh, once I I lost them, I was happy. That's interesting. I it's, yeah. So you, you well, you kind of get them back when you just collect more. But yeah, do you mean that yeah. you have to you have to go forward to get them back? Is that what you mean? Like you have to. I mean, if you lose them all uh, in this level, it's too bad you don't have any more. So you have a huge incentive right. to keep them, or if. So in the future, you're going to get a super hard battle. You want to have like all these extra lives. Yeah. You want to not lose them all at once, at least. That's the, that's the so, idea. I, yeah. I liked them at just as a safety net, just as like, if I, I have a few extra lives, if I get into some really hard scrapes, I can keep going. But, um, are you kind of coming at it from the direction of, I would like to be able to just kind of go back a little bit and not be caught in this fight like dying over and over again. Is that kind of what you mean? Or no, I just don't want to be punished an extra way when I die. I don't see how it's a punishment though. That's what, I guess that's what I'm having trouble with. Cause to me, it's like you get to just try again at this fight, but you don't even literally lose anything. You just, you, you can't lose a life. Yeah. But you can get more later if you just keep playing, <laughs> but maybe not, maybe you're going to have this hard battle and you won't have all your lives. Right. But then at that point, you just kind of get set back to the champ- checkpoint and you try again. Yes, that's, but it, it's, it, I'm this type of player who's going to hoard things. Like sure. In, yeah. In the Elder Scrolls, I'm going to have like all the healing potions, mana potions. I'm never, ever going to use one. Yeah. I'm, I'm the exact same way. Exactly. But exactly. I'm keeping them all. And I had this in Eternal <laughs> and I felt bad when I had to, yeah. to lose my lives. Yeah, I, I, I feel you. Yes. Like, I'm serious. Like, I felt better when I had no lives. I was like, there's no consequence for that. I'm just dying and I restart. I think there's an option to turn lives off in one of the difficulties. I, I think. But no, that's that's understandable. I, 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 I totally had that mindset, too, of like, I need. To, I had like 20 extra lives in my first playthrough because I was, I was playing on Hurt Me Plenty, the, like, the second to easiest. Oh. Now I understand why you like it so much. I played in the the adult difficulty. Oh, okay. (laughs) I see how it is. I I I, played on uh, Nightmare day one. Like I I jumped in right on Nightmare, and I I, to be fair, if anybody watched like Civvy's review of this game, I really went through that phase of like, man, I had to get good. I thought I was good at Doom. I am terrible. (laughs) Your nightmare makes us all very nightmare. What's that? You you started with Nightmare. Yes, you're the first. 
that's how I played. That's how that's ballsy. Was, I'm fucking going in deep. Like I was excited. I, this is like a month of like cardiovascular training <laughs> to get ready for the new Doom Eternal release. I was excited, man. Like I took off. I took leave off work. I was like, <laughs> I'm not fucking going in. This is gonna. This is all in. And then I sit down. I have my best friend over here. Like my neighbor is just sitting in my chair behind me. Like yeah, he's got his Doom helmet on. We special ordered the whole game. We sit down to play this thing. And I'm like, we're going all in on Nightmare. I'm going to crush the shit. And it was just this wall of disappointment. I was just like, no way. I would would make a spirited defense of easier modes just because, like, oh, yeah. Why, yeah, why frustrate yourself? But yeah, to be fair, it's the game to be played on Hurt Me Plenty, definitely. Yeah. So I played the first time on Hurt Me Plenty, and I'm also, and I, my second playthrough on Ultraviolence, and I kind of, like that gradual step up. Like mm-hmm. I handled the first time. I think I can handle this next one. I honestly, I don't know if I'll ever be ready for nightmare. That's just me. Like, I don't know if I have it in me. <laughs> There's no obligation to do that. It was just something I no, had I to prove to myself. No, I get I, that. I just needed to beat this game on nightmare. That way I could say like, no matter what, no matter what we review this game, like no matter how anybody says it, I made it my bitch. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was fun. Like I, I actually did enjoy the game. Like I had a good time. Mm-hmm. It was just there are all these obvious things that we could just keep bringing up over and over sure. again. And I really appreciate the way you guys have entertained me. But you're welcome. Happy to. At, at the end of the day, it's it's a good game. I just don't know if it's the best Doom game. It's sure. You, Fair. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Honestly, I, I I was when it first came out and I first played it, and I was like kind of in the honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is the best Doom game ever. But having beaten it and like having the, you know, had some distance from it, I think 2016 is probably still my favorite Doom game. The best I think thing that 2016 came out of this... is better in every way except for maybe the movement. platforming, like and the mm-hmm. graphics. The uh, speed of movement. The graphic. I would argue against the speed of movement in Doom 2016. Okay, I'll give it to you. Yeah, the I... dodge. The dodge was a game changer. Like the dodge mechanic was such a welcome addition in Eternal. I think the best thing that came out of Doom Eternal was Night Dive's release of Doom 64. It's absolutely outstanding. Everything That's pretty sick too. Yeah, it's so good. And Doom the new level is amazing game. If you, you yeah. haven't played it, it's uh, I haven't installed. I haven't played it yet though. Highly uh, recommend it. Don't be ashamed to play brutal doom 64 also. Oh, yes. I want to, I, I hear so much about brutal doom. I loved it. Best FPS in years. Sergeant Mark on the podcast, like two weeks ago. That was great. So, nice. Yeah. I haven't, I'm definitely want to listen to that. I, I've been so busy. No, dude. I don't expect you to do shit. You need to be getting me. I, I want you to get done with episode two of Nightmare Reaper. You shouldn't even be doing this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what are you doing? You're right. Go work on it. <laughs> I've paid you my hard-earned money. <laughs> Not wrong. No, no, no. I truly, though. Like, oh, do you have anything to share? Is there any any inside scoop you can give us? What, what can we expect, time-wise or gameplay-wise or anything with Nightmare Reaper? I like the uh, the screenshots and the. The little videos you showed of the cityscapes levels, those look cool. Yeah, that's it fits way better than caves and stuff for this type of engine. Okay. Because everything is all in a city, everything is 90 degree angle. So it's going to be better, I think. <laughs> I don't want to say too much. Connor, have you seen or played Nightmare Reaper at all? Uh, I haven't yet, but I'm, I'm actually looking into it right now. I'm, uh, think, uh, my interest is peaked. Can we get him a key, a key or something? Oh yeah, sure, sure. As a show of solidarity. That, that is very, that is so neighborly. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'd give you my key, but I just gave it away like two days ago. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I'm looking at it on Steam right now. It looks looks amazing. It, it reminds me of a 
I, I have been playing a bit of Project Warlock lately, and yeah, I'm kind that's of I'm kind a of on great that. game also. Yes, yeah. I agree, and I'm kind of on that kick of like that retro inspired, but the art style Nightmare Reaper here just looks amazing, like the colors. The, the it's a robot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it depends on who you ask for that, but I like it's, it. It's all changing right now. I'm I'm into it. I, it looks cool. Uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to the uh, the lore party interpretation of. Nightmare Reaper. Oh, oh yeah. The, if you like story, there's. Uh, yeah. It's told in a slightly different way. We are actually. actually I'm getting into this actually... pitch not because Bruno's my friend <laughs> or anything, but because I liked this game before he was my friend. I really think you would dig the way that the story is told. This is a very unique way of telling stories in an FPS game. Absolutely, that sounds yeah. cool. I yeah. we actually are doing a uh, a series on uh, indie games this season on War Party, oh, yeah. so that's a that's a great fit. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You won't get a conclusion, though. But <laughs> and uh, when, when is the next season of Lore Party supposed to debut? Yeah, we're actually, uh, we're actually working on it right now. Season 7 of our uh, sort of primary uh, podcast series uh, mm-hmm. kicks off. It's actually kind of in progress right now. Um, in fact, last night, the night before you know, this recording we're on right here, uh, my co-host and I recorded our first episode on the doom series so we are you know, e- each season on lore party we have a different set of uh, games and topics we cover uh, a bunch of us kind of take uh sort of the lead on different series and my series this this season is the doom series so we're diving into eternal obviously we're going to be you know examining some elements of 2016 and some of the older games really tying them together and uh it's going to be a great season i think i'm really excited yeah are please find some doom tree <laughs> I do love Do I do love Doom Three, uh just as an atmospheric sort of entry. But. Yeah, it's a great great game, but I mean talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to bring you guys back on for the Doom Three debate. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be that'll be a fun one. Years down the line, but Absolutely. No, I, I'm looking forward to collaborating more, man. I could I really You've enticed me because my style of podcasting is so dramatically different than the way you guys do things. And I, and I like variety and I want to be challenged. So I got to say, I got to say, likewise, um, uh, sorry, I cut you off there. <laughs> no, no, no. Say what you got to say. But no, yeah, I, I, this, this was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, definitely. Let's do it again. Uh, it's weird because I've been, I've been a part of lore party, the team for about a year now, a little over a year. And, uh, we've gradually just gotten so much more serious and uh, dedicated to the scripting and, you know, like really planning out our episodes and being really thorough and uh, making sure we're backing up a thesis or whatever. It's very serious. And like, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, and, you know, any, any podcast is a lot of work, but it's like very cerebral. And it was, it was so cool to just come on here and on your platform and just chill out and have a conversation. Cause we don't, we don't really do that a lot on more parties. So it's, it's, it's really fun to, really just cut you know hang back and have a chat it's been it's been great i think that there's a debate to be made that like throwing yourself in the deep end on a regular basis like it's it's like jazz you know what you guys do is like a symphony it's, it's <laughs> yeah. beautiful it's well edited it's got like all this glamour and it's wondrous like it really is like i love the the whole witcher series especially the stuff where you guys were diving into like Skellige's oh, background yeah, and all that stuff and and I really also enjoyed the uh, my wife enjoyed also the 
Stardew Valley episodes where you're talking mm-hmm. about like the darkness of Stardew Valley and everything. Yeah, I love it, that also. Which, which you guys do is fantastic. Thank you very much. I appreciate it's, that. It's, it's just it's, that, it's great to hear. Over here, it's like I I'm playing jazz, man. I'm freeform. I'm putting myself in that flow state every time. Like I don't have a I don't always come with a plan. Sometimes I have like notes you know, or mm-hmm. something that I can outline. Right now, I've just I literally if you saw my desktop, you'd be like, oh, he literally just has Bruno's list of problems. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, it's uh, fun. It's a beautiful thing to just, you know, get into the groove and uh, let the let the conversation take you away to where it needs yeah. to go. It's a beautiful thing. Hit those 12-bar blues. <laughs> exactly. Flex a little bit. Just learn a couple chords and then play off of that and then just, you know, yeah. goof off. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for being here. I really had a good time. Yeah, I, thanks, I, thanks. thanks for having me. This is great. It's fun. Morpher for our beautiful dark ambient music throughout the podcast. Always a great contributor to the show. Love you, brother. Go check him out over on his Bandcamp page. Just Morpher. I M M O R P H E R. Morpher. Bad motherfucker. Hire him to do all your awesome dark ambient soundtracks for your game or whatever. Thank you also, of course, to our guests today. Thank you to Connor Howard and to everybody over at Lore Party. Go check them out at loreparty.com. Listen to all of their amazing shit. I highly recommend, you know, just exploring the catalog. See if there's any games in there that you really resonate with. And I'm sure that if you click on that episode, download it and give it a listen, you'll have a good time. Also, thank you, of course, to Bruno Boudouin, the amazing, the powerful the almighty designer of one of the best damn retro FPS games out there right now, Nightmare Reaper. Go to the Steam page, download that shit. It's awesome. If you love this podcast and you want to give back in some way, you can go to inthekeep.com. You can find all of our catalog there and you can find our merch tab and our support tab. There's Amazon affiliate links. There's links to our Patreon account. There's all kinds of ways for you to uh, support the show. But, you know, as always, guys, the the number one way that you can support In The Keep is just to tell other people about it. Go on your social media platform or whatever the fuck it is. If you have a blog, write about it on your blog. Tell your friends about it. Buy yourself a t-shirt. Wear it to a concert or a gaming convention. Whatever it is, man. Just spread the word. That's the main thing. Tell everybody. I mean it. Don't just like shit on fucking Twitter, man. Retweet it. Don't be a lazy bitch. I love you. You're amazing. Hugs and kisses, everybody. From myself and the Drowned God, Cathala... Please stay safe out there. Please keep a level head on your shoulders, and we'll see you next time. Till then, stay in the keep.